We're continuing in our Mark series, and we are moving rapidly because we are in Mark chapter 2. Um, Mark chapter 2, 13 through 22, and I'm going to read this um, before getting started here. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible version, but you can uh, read from whatever version or language that you have on your phones or your Bibles, or you can just listen, or you can, it'll be also on the screen. <clears throat> Jesus went out beside the lake again. The whole crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he continued along, he saw Levi, Alphaeus' son, sitting at a kiosk for collecting ta taxes. Damn, kiosk. Jesus said to him, follow me, Levi. Levi got up and followed him. Jesus sat down to eat at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. Indeed, many of them had come become his followers. When some of the legal experts from among the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. John's disciples and the Pharisees had a habit of fasting. Some people asked Jesus, why do John's disciples and Pharisees' disciples fast, but yours don't? Jesus said, the wedding guests can't fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they can't fast. But the days will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a piece of new, unshrunk cloth on old clothes. Otherwise, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and makes a worse tear. No one pours new wine into old leather wineskins. Otherwise, the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine would be lost, and the wineskins destroyed. But new wine is for new wineskins. When we uh, do a, even a cursory survey of the scriptures, Old Testament or New Testament, food and meals and table fellowship and hospitality are really, really, really important. And in the Gospels, Jesus continues in the tradition and in the customs of the day uh, where he likes to eat with people. He likes to have food and table fellowship um, with people. The thing is that there are a lot of cult cultural norms and religious uh, norms. We talked about in previous weeks uh, the purity system, the purity codes, um, and what begins to upset the religious, the established religious leaders of the time, not only as we've seen Jesus's kind of audacity and how he held his authority, um, but also in the ways that he kind of broke the norms and didn't, and seemingly disregarded those purity codes. Um, and things like um, who Jesus broke bread with, as we'll, we see in our passage. And also, you know, a disregard for washing rites um, before meals, uh, the way that people uh, ritually wash themselves, wash their hands, wash their feet, uh, in order to be purified for eating. Um, as I was thinking about this, two things came to mind. One is when religious, religion and class or social status are melded, 
religion and class and social status are melded, it's a dangerous thing, right? When religion and ethnic culture are melded, it's also a dangerous thing. If we go further in the New Testament, like Acts, where Paul is doing his you know, ministry to the Gentiles, uh, Paul was a lot more overt calling out the ethnocentric nationalism in the early church, right? By calling himself the apostle to the Gentiles and describing the great mystery of Christ as being quite simply that the gospel was for the Gentiles, not just the Jews. It was for the Gentiles as much as it was for the Jews. Jesus is kind of, in my eyes, more of a virus injected into the Jewish religious culture. More subtle, well, maybe not more subtle, but more subversive from the inside out, right? Because it was all enmeshed, right? Purity, ethnicity, righteousness, and economics. If you're unclean, chances are you're poor, you're a foreigner, or you're sick. And being poor, a foreigner, or sick meant that you were further away from the center of religious cleanliness or righteousness. Are you with me, church? Um, and, but when we see, uh, when we, from our passage, Jesus is preaching in Galilee, and the crowds are continuing to follow him, but we also see in the midst of kind of that tension that we talked about that there are crowds, there are people that are flocking to Jesus because of what he could do for them, right? Heal me, heal me, heal me. Uh, and Jesus kind of working with that tension, but also wanting to be about his word, his message, about what his way, the way of Christ, the way of God. Um, he does have... Uh, a group of followers that are starting to kind of follow his word and follow his teachings and follow him from town to town. And he continues to call disciples into deeper, deeper uh, commitment um, to the way and commitment to the ministry um, that he was doing. So we see here the calling of Levi, come, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. And then Jesus goes to dinner at Levi's house. And Levi was a tax collector, and you know I'm sure you've heard if you grew up in the church all the background descriptions of tax collectors. They were sellouts. They collected taxes for the Roman Empire, but they were Jewish. Um, but in order uh, to make a living, they took extra taxes, and everything extra that they skimmed off the top was kind of their income. So, uh, needless to say, they represented the empire. They represented uh, like, yeah, none, I mean, how, raise your hand if you like paying taxes, right? None of us like paying taxes, so people don't like the tax collectors. They felt cheated by them, um, and they were also outside of kind of the religious. They were considered amongst the sinners, um, and so we read that Jesus sits down to eat at Levi's house, and many tax collectors, not just Levi, but many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. And then that word, indeed, many of them had become his followers. Indeed, many of them had become his followers. So there's 
moving from the crowd but stepping closer to Jesus and becoming that group of more intimate followers of Jesus were these tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees, of course, and the legal experts saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors and say, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus said, heard it, and he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. I don't know about you, but there are many times in my life where I've felt left out, right? I think that's where the term FOMO comes from, the fear of missing out, the fear of being outside of something, and um, there are many times, but I have one particular story about food and elementary school cafeterias that kind of sticks in my mind about feeling foreign or feeling left out, right? So, you know, growing up in elementary school, people had those lunch boxes, the metal lunch boxes, and we had like Transformers or Garbage Pail Kids or Cabbage Patch Kids, I'm probably dating myself, or, you know, G.I. Joe lunch boxes. And uh, uh, I didn't have a lunch box, right? I just had whatever, you know, the Korean grocery mart plastic set with all the, you know, in Korean writing. It was just so foreign, and we were in Texas, and I was like, oh, why can't I just get a G.I. Joe, you know, lunch box so I can fit in? Why do I have to, like, have this these Korean, you know, letters in a plastic bag? And on top of that, you know, my, my mom would pack me whatever was dinner, leftovers from dinner. So there'd be like kimchi and rice and all these side dishes and like meats, which I love at home, but growing up and wanting to fit in, you know, sitting at the cafeteria table with everyone with their bologna sandwiches and that carrot sticks, whatever their parents had packed for them. It was so nice and like clean without odor, right? But my food had odor. The aroma, right? You know, and that's the thing with ethnic food is like, it smells different. And so I'll, sometimes I would, because I was embarrassed, because I was ashamed, would sit on my own or go, you know, sit at my own table and felt left out. I, I think nowadays, you know, kids are proud, right? It's like, I got different food, look at that. And everyone's like, oh, I want that. Um, but at the time, I felt left out. And so maybe each one of us here today has a story where uh, we feel like we didn't fit in, or we felt left out, or we were embarrassed about our own background, um, or uh, what kind of clothes we wore, or our level of you know, social economic status, or whatever it was. Um, maybe you were an awkward teenager or went through an awkward phase or you had to wear braces and you didn't want to smile. Whatever it was, we've felt left out at times. And I think that's what Jesus was about and that's who Jesus is for, right? Throughout scripture, if you open up Exodus, for instance, You'll, you'll read that God hear, heard the cries of his people, right? The people in captivity, the people in captivity enslaved by the Egyptians. It says that God, hearing the cries of his people, 
calls Moses, calls Moses to lead them out. God hears, God hears. And I think God from the heavens hearing his people on earth as Jesus is coming, crying out, there must be more. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I feel left out. I don't fit into the system. I'm considered unclean. I'm considered not pure. I'm poor. I'm sick. I need healing. Outside, outcast from society, God heard the cries of his heart and sent Jesus. And we, we saw at the beginning of Mark, Jesus, you know, John the Baptist. Again, the people are coming to the wilderness, to the desert, because they're thirsting and they're hungering after something, and they're changing their lives, and they're receiving new life and getting baptized. And so, you know, uh, there was a felt need, right? And when there's a felt need, God moves with compassion and mercy. Jesus moves with compassion and mercy. And we see this in Jesus' words, right? I'm here for the left out ones. I'm here for the sick ones. I'm here uh, for the ones who are cast out. I'm like a doctor, right? You're completely healthy. I don't need, like, the completely healthy, you know, normal blood pressure, no diseases, whatever person. I need Pastor Dave Sim, right? All his, you know, he needs to lose weight. He needs to cut down on his sweets. He needs to cut down on whatever. That's what makes a doctor feel like, yeah, I'm doing my job. Like, this is, this is good. The, the world is broken, and look, we need to fix this guy. And they always have a, you know, after meeting with me, after my, you know, appointments, a sense of satisfaction. <laughs> right? I'm, we're doing something for this guy. Um, why did I? Oh, it was Jesus, right? Jesus is saying, I'm for the sick, not for the righteous. But the, the catch is, everyone is sick. All of us are sick, right? It's not a matter of, oh, there are, every, there are healthy people and there are just those people, right? We are all sick. We are all in need of God. We're all in need of God's grace, mercy, and healing touch. And the difference is, do we recognize that in ourselves and are willing to say, yeah, I'm sick and I need healing. I'm sick and I need healing. What might separate uh, those of us with privilege versus those who aren't as privileged is maybe that the rest of the world easily recognizes those who aren't privileged as sick, right? It's more, you have no choice in the matter. You can't hide it, right? You're like, you're, you need, you need help. You need God's healing touch. Whereas those of us who may be educated or you know, self-sufficient, independent, competent, we have jobs, we have cars, we, you know, we, we're doing okay, we're fine. It's harder for us, maybe, to recognize, man, I am sick, I need a doctor. I need a soul doctor. I need Jesus. Are you with me, church?
And that's who God was hanging out with, who Jesus was dining with and eating with, who's sharing table fellowship with, are the sinners and the tax collectors who knew they were sinners, who knew they were not a part of the community. And um, he ate with them. Um, So Jesus breaks protocol. Something and what he is doing, his actions, who he eats with is affecting the religious leaders. Wait, 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 wait. How dare you hang out with them? How dare you as a rabbi, right, as a teacher, hang out with those people? And before we're like, ah, Pharisees and legal experts, ha. They're so arrogant. They're so self-righteous. You know, I thought about this as, you know, a pastor or as a a leader in the church community. Like, in what situation, with, with what kind of dining colleagues would I feel uncomfortable? Right? Right? Like, if I, you know went and ate along with, you know, people who were dealing drugs and on drugs, you know, I might be like, oh my gosh, like, what would people think if they saw me? Like, did, you know, if I'm in a shady situation with shady people, will people think I'm doing shady things, right? Or, or dirty people, or go to houses with too many cats, you know, where I'm like allergic to them, whatever it is, Right? There are people and situations that I naturally would veer away from, right? I, I wouldn't want to be associated with, or simply those people are, we love cats. I have two cats. <laughs> it's not, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm not judging, right? I am allergic to my cats, so I have a love hate relationship with them. Um, but Janice loves them, and my kids love my cats, so I too must love them. Because I am practicing what Jesus is doing here by communing with, having table fellowship with cats. Um, Yeah, who are those people for you? Or what are those situations for you? What groups or what contexts would you not find yourself eating, sitting at a table together with? Right, in high school and stuff like that, those kind of lines are maybe more delineated, right, clearer, because there's kind of, you know, I don't know what you call them, clicks or what they call them now. Um, back in my day, it was, we were the AP jocks. So we did sports, but we weren't like super athletic enough to be like superstar sports people, but we also were in AP classes and smart, so we're not just, you know, smart and not doing sports. Right, and just studying all the time, but smart and doing sports, right? So AP jock, so kind of had, you know, a foot, for me, a foot in two worlds. Like, I was cool and athletic, but I could also, you know, solve a quadratic equation, right? So, uh, (laughs) anyways, um, but we all have our kind of images of what's dirty, or unclean, or uh, not a place that we'd want to be. 
And I just want us to reflect on that. And so then we go to this next section, and they're tied together. John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples have a habit of fasting, right? Religion, we're religious people. We're in ministry, so we have to put a sour face on and show everyone that we're intense and serious and righteous and praying every day and fasting every day and being religious ascetics, right? Just like, you know, Monty Python, you know, hitting our heads, right? Monks that are hitting their heads. Like, we need to be so that we're suffering. And this is, you know, I grew up in the Korean church, and this is a really deep thing, right? Like, pastors should be poor, or they can't have too good of a time, right? Like, you have to be the most suffering person, so we won't pay you. Um, Don't mind that the PKs are suffering, too. Like, you're not paying my dad. But, like, somewhere there's kind of that suffering um, and attached with being religious or being faithful, right? And so they're like, why aren't you guys fasting? John's disciples do it. Our disciples do it. And you guys are like eating with sinners and like partying it up. You guys are, you know, feasting and having a good time. And Jesus is like, the wedding guests can't fast while the groom is with them. Can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they can't fast. But the days will come when the groom will be taken from them and then they will fast. And I always wonder when Jesus says these cryptic things, if people just, the room just got quiet and was like, what is he saying? Like, what, is he, what are you saying? But here's what he's saying. I'm the bridegroom, right? This is a wedding, and I'm here. It's time to party, right? One day I won't be, and then you can fast, and then you can, you know, get on your knees and pray. But for right now, I'm here to bring life. I'm here to have fun. And then I think on the side, he's kind of saying, be human, right? What does it mean to be human? Why? Why does following your way and your religious rituals mean doing, being superhuman? or doing things that are not human, right? Taking the human things away from you. When what it means to be human means to hug one another, laugh and tell jokes until our stomachs are in pain, our abdominal muscles are sore because we're laughing so much. And like letting our taste buds just kind of savor the food that we're eating and just being in good company. I remember a time in college when I was in campus ministry leading a Bible study where I was, I was um, resentful. I was resentful for the holy huddle or the other Christians hanging out and having fun and laughing and being friends and I purposefully like separated myself from that because I'm doing evangelism. I'm hanging out, you know, with this, and maybe this isn't a good example, um, <laughs> but kind of like, you know, not allowing myself to celebrate 
or not allowing myself to even have friends, right? And, and there's even that piece as a pastor, like a pastor of a church has to say it kind of disconnected a little bit, aloof. Or I can't be friends with people, right? Otherwise, what does that say about my authority or my, you know, what I can do as a leader? And when I see Jesus' life and his actions, it's kind of like, why? Right? Jesus called his disciples friends. Right? And Jesus looks like he's having a good time. And I think people can smell it. Right? People can smell it on a community, and people can smell it on, on someone like that's, I want to be around that, right? I want to be with that person because when I am with that person, I feel life or I feel encouraged or I feel welcomed or I feel like I belong or I feel accepted for who I am, right? And too much, I hear so much stories. We know the stories of young adults leaving the church, the nuns, right? N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, right? Why are young people leaving the church? Because they don't experience that. They haven't experienced that, right? They haven't experienced, right? This is a place of life. Instead, oftentimes, it feels like we're putting too many obstacles and hindrance in the way of people who would come to meet Jesus in the church. Amen? Too many obstacles. And um, let's see, where am I? So Jesus goes on and says, No one sews a piece of new unshrunk cloth on old clothes. Otherwise, the patch tears it away the new from the old, and makes a worse tear. No one pours new wine into the old leather wineskins. Otherwise, the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine would be lost, and the wineskins destroyed. But new wine... But new wine is for new wineskins. New wine is for new wineskins. Um, so if you were to go into uh, the documents for leadership documents for Renew or to go through our membership class, for instance, you would see the next slide, um, which is something maybe no one else likes it, but I like it a lot. Um, kind of the ethos or the culture um, that we want to be as a community. And that's uh, explained through the idea of bounded set and centered set. Right? Uh, so, in a church community or any community, a bounded set would mean that the lines, the boundaries, this, the dark circle, uh, is very clear and delineated. So, people who are in, we know that they're in. People who are out, we know that they're out because they're certain, whatever, what you eat or what you wear or what, how much money you have or whatever, whatever it is. You, you took a membership. You, you bought the membership card, you gave money, you donated money, whatever. Um, so it's a clear in and out. Versus a centered set where you have a strong middle, a, a force of gravity, that being Jesus, 
And it's not necessarily that people are in and out, but it's what direction are you work walking or journeying in relation to the center, right? So someone who's far away from the center could be walking towards Jesus, right? And that's, yeah, that's great. And someone who's close, you grew up in the church, you're an elder in the church, could still be, you're, you look like you're close to the center, you've been in the center, but you could be walking away from Jesus. And so do you see the difference? Here, I think, you know, the risks of this, I mean, the benefits of this is, like, it's clear. Like, it's black and white. We can see, right? But the risks are there's, culture, there's certain values that define what's in and out. And if you throw in culture, if you throw in ethnicity, if you throw in other things, righteousness, in or outness, could be... Uh, co-opted by culture, ethnicity, whatever, social economic status. Um, faking the funk on a nasty dumb. But here, <laughs> here, it's not as defined, right? It's like, oh my gosh, this is dangerous, it's risky. We've got some risky, peop- risky people, right? Like, whoa, right? Who's, who's in, who's out? Like, who, who are going to be our leaders? Like, ah, ah. But I think it's all about the journey, right? It's all about, it's recognizing the, the strengths of relationship and Jesus' calling. So as Jesus is telling the Pharisees and the legal experts, you are treating new wine, you are trying to contain new wine, right, with old wineskins, right? Can't you see around you? God is doing something amazing with the people, right? People are coming to God. People are giving their life to God. People are getting baptized, right? People are being healed. We're having a revival here. There's a renewal. And people, their lives are changing around. And still you guys are getting angry. You guys are getting upset because you're losing control and you're feeling that. And you're holding on to your old wineskins, And you can't contain it. You can't wield it. The spirit is moving. It's going to blow up in your face. Right? Let go. But God is doing something new and bringing in new wineskins. Right? Let the wine flow. Let the party go. We want to fight. No, that's that was another party I went to. Um, uh, new wineskins, right? Pivot. We hear that all the time. And I think we should listen to kind of the things that are going on around us. Pivot, adjust, adapt. Because quite frankly, the church historically has been about 15 years behind whatever's going on, right? Behind, 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 right? I'm still trying to, like, use matrix analogies in my sermon. It's like, the matrix? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> What's the matrix? My son's like, oh, matrix? Um, what does this mean for us? One, it's just like, 
Be human, right? When the Spirit is moving, God is bringing people, lives, and paths across people, right? And we interact with people based on our interests and what we're passionate about, our backgrounds, and connections are always made. And we need to, we didn't allow that. We need to allow God to do things in us and do things in us through other people. And we need to offer ourselves, our true selves, right, to one another. Right? Not, not fake, but true selves, our true, authentic, wholehearted, vulnerable, open selves. And be, be like that lively, flavorful community of Christ that we can be, where if someone walked in off the street, they're like, man, I'll have what they're having. Right? There's something different going on here. And not just those coming into this building, but in our daily lives out there, right? Right? 99% of you are not pastors like me. <laughs> Everyone but me, right? You guys working jobs, running households, going to school, right? A lot of loving our grandchildren, right? We're doing, we're interacting with different people, going to our neighborhood block parties, Halloween, giving out candy to, to kids during Halloween. We're out there, and we need to be messengers of life, messengers of Jesus Christ, right, who came to save, who came to offer living water and bread and sustenance for the world. And we can be carriers, humble carriers of that, not because we're put together, but because we too have been touched by the great doctor. We too needed him, and he came and met us. And so let me tell you about someone who knew everything about me and healed me and lifted me up and turned my life around and saved me. Let me introduce you to that person, right? It's not what I'm eating. It's not my exercise regimen. It's Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus and to get out of the way, right? Take the, the wineskins that are dirty and tattered, right, and dusty, and move those aside and just let it flow. Let yourself go. I don't know why beastie boys are in my mind, but um, when Jesus in our morning time prayer this morning, actually, I was thinking about when Jesus fed the thousands, five thousands, and then uh, Margarita started praying about fish and loaves, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's like connecting. But Jesus sees the people, right, gathered. They've been following him around. They, like, crossed the bridge and went to the east side with Jesus. And they're like, it's dark, and the bridge is closed for some odd reason. And the disciples are like, send them away. They're hungry. We don't have anything. We don't have food. We don't want to feed them. We're getting tired. I got, I got to watch the football game. And Jesus it says, the, the scripture says, he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd. It said, Jesus had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. 
And he's like, you feed them. And then he breaks the loaves, breaks the loaves, breaks the loaves, divides the fish, divides the fish. And in the place where we didn't think we had enough, Jesus fed everyone with leftovers. And so as we move out from this place and we're scared and we're worried, we're, we don't know if we have enough to even take care of our own families, let alone right, feast provide a feast for the world out there. Go out and trust that the Lord of the loaves and the fish will meet you in your time of need and in, in the people around you's time of need and will, will make a feast for you to eat at. Take steps and take risks. Go bungee jump, cord jumping, skydiving with Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are, that you open your table for us, that we have a seat at your table, and that at your table is home. And the thing about being at your table and being home is that there's always room for another chair. There's always room for more and more. And uh, your banquet table is continually expanding. And I pray that we can be aware and conscious of that and experience that and turn outward to welcome the new friends that are coming in and to also recognize our own hunger and thank, be grateful and thankful to you for your healing and your feeding and filling us up. In Jesus' name, amen.